Welcome to Paris and Bazcast, where we answer your property and finance-related questions. And here's this week's topic with your hosts, Gurdev and Anmol Singh. Investing like the top 1%. What can we learn from them? Jack Henderson from Henderson Advocacy joins us to talk. Hello, Jack. How are you? It's good to be here. It's been a, uh, it's been a, a year hiatus, I think, since we, we were here last. <laughs> a lot That's of water true. under the bridge in that time, huh? That's um, uh, true. Huh? <laughs> Quite literally out there in, in the hills area and the Hawkesbury area. There's been a lot of water. A lot of money. <laughs> hills we've been saved, actually. Yeah, hills, hills have been touch wood okay. It, but it's the hilly area. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Perfect. So let's talk about how, what can we learn from investing like the top 1%? What what, what, what can you share? So, you know, it's, it, it's something that I'm really harping on about a lot lately because, you know, property investment as the marketplace has continued to go from strength to strength has been, in the headlines everywhere and, and just like now with the interest rate rises and all the rest of it, Australians love talking about property and are always wanting to build wealth um, through property. But I see a lot of people who, who try to build wealth through property generally don't get to the level that they want to get to um, yeah. or, you know, they get stuck and sort of 97 to 98% of all property investors stop at one property. And usually the reason for that is because they buy the wrong property they don't have a plan. They don't understand what assets to buy, and they usually follow the herd. And, and you know, there's a saying that don't follow the herd because they're lost as well. Um, yeah. And you know, I talk about the one percent and the one percent of property investors or the one percent of wealth in Australia do things differently, and and they obviously get very very different results to the ninety nine percent. Yeah. Um, and you know, you don't don't necessarily have to be at the financial level of the top one percent of of, of wealth in Australia, but you need to to look at what these people do and, and take things from their journey. So if you look at people like your Frank Lowy, like your Harry Triggerboff, like you know, Mike Cannon Brooks from, from Atlassian, like these guys own some of the largest property portfolios in all of Australia. And very, very, very few of their properties are in regional locations that, you know, are not blue chip or, or blue ribbon. Um, and there's a reason for that. So, you know, these people are the smartest minds in the world. They've got the best advisors in the world. They've got the most amount of money in the world. And if regional locations were the panacea to growing wealth and, and the, you know, long-term long-term uh, store of wealth was, was guaranteed in these locations, they'd be buying there, but they're not. So, yeah. uh, you know, we always talk about making sure that when you're investing in a location, you're investing in a location that has a proven track record of performance. So you can look back over 20 to 30 years of data and say, well, there's been a lot of stuff happen or a lot of water under the bridge in that 20 or 30 years. And if the marketplace has consistently performed over that time frame, then I'm pretty confident to say that if we project 30 years into the future and we have a very, very similar 30 years with global financial crises and dot-com bubbles and you know interest rate rises and decreases and COVID and all the other stuff that goes on in, over the last 30 years, um, you know, it's probably going to perform better because the scarcity of real estate is only going to become uh, greater as our population increases. Mm. Yeah, especially more premium suburbs where real estate is more sought after, and especially buying your first property as an investment property is very crucial to get that right so you can leverage off that to buy your second, third, and fourth property. Mm. And that's where they go wrong, which we've yeah. seen. Mm. 100%. And, and, you know, usually the people that they're learning from when, when people are starting to invest or the information that they're getting, they're getting it from the wrong people and they're not getting it from people who have 
multiple yeah. properties and have had you know built significant wealth through property they're getting it off you know an average punter or, or, or you know their uncle at a barbecue who wouldn't mm-hmm. know black from white when investing in in property and and you know they go down the wrong path and buy the wrong property and and like you said the first property or two builds mm-hmm. the foundation in which you then grow from and if you don't get that correctly it, it, it sets you on the wrong trajectory from day dot yeah. Correct. Yeah. And where I've seen people go wrong is where they buy a lot in new estates where the land size is, is minimal and basically they are investing in the build, in the construction, which is technically a depreciating asset. Um, the land appreciates, mm. building depreciates. So mm. I think that's where they go wrong a lot as well. They look at the, the glossy house, the new fixtures, and they, they put their heart on it. And mm. I think that's where they go wrong in the, in, in the long term. Mm. So what 100%. are the key factors that you look out for what, what, you know, when determining which property, which kind of investment is a worthwhile investment? What do you look for? So one of the big things is, is, like I said, a proven track record of performance. So if you can't look at a location and look at an area and look at 20 to 30 years of data to say that this area has performed consistently over the long term, mm. then for me, you know, you're not actually investing. If you're looking at an area where there is no proven track record and um, good Eve, like you just said, when you're looking in new estates, for example, where mm. there's no true proven track record, they, they don't exist, you know, two or three years ago, they're, they're, they're now new, mm. you're actually speculating into the future to say, well, because there's going to be infrastructure and because there's going to be population, we're going to get really strong growth. Um, and, and just like you said, when you buy brand new assets, regardless if they're apartments or regardless if they're, they're houses, the, the the high percentage of the, the money you're investing is going into the dwelling itself and not the land that it sits on. Whereas when you're buying in more established blue chip locations, usually the houses or the apartments that sit on the land are fully depreciated because they're 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, 60, 70 years old and 70 plus percent of the dollars you're investing is actually going into the land value. So that's the, the most important one is making sure you're investing in established areas with a proven track record. Um, yep. Another key key factor we look at is what is the median income in the area you're investing into? Does it sit above the median income of Australia? And what is that income made up of? So what industries make up the majority of the demographic in that suburb? So obviously, when you're, you're investing in property and you want to buy into a location where you're looking for strong capital growth, you want to make sure the people who live there earn good income so they can continue to re-borrow and spend more money on property. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you, you look at it in the area which you guys sell a lot in, you know, places yeah. like Bella Vista and Norwest, the reason there's properties there that are worth three, four, five, six, seven million dollars is because the people who live in those locations earn an income yeah. in which they're able to spend that sort of money on property. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Now, if those people earned sixty thousand dollars a year and they had no, you know, prospect of earning more money, they wouldn't be able to spend seven million dollars on a house. So it's all relative to the people who live in a location. You know, people talk about Sydney or Melbourne as being very, very expensive, but sure, they may be expensive who don't live in, but for people who don't live in the suburbs. Yeah. But for people who live in the suburbs, it's relative to what they earn. That's you know? right, and that's why investing in other areas like Melbourne from Sydney siders it feels cheap yeah. because it's the other way around. Exactly. And, and that's a really big, a really big thing that's been happening over the last twelve to twenty four months with all this chat about investing and real estate. And people feel like they're missing out. They're, they're going to invest in these regional locations in which we've just had him drop off. We'll just wait for Jack to come back. Interesting topic. 
There you go, yeah. There we go, back again. There we go. Technical. I'm back. Sorry. Okay. I try to I try to hang up a phone call and uh, hang up the other. And I hung up you guys. Yeah. So what I was saying was, um, you know, there's people go and invest in these regional locations, which seem super affordable, and their their, their mentality is oh, well, they're affordable locations, so they have to grow from where they are right now. But mm. unfortunately, you know, the, the, the thought process of growth isn't actually the reality of how growth occurs. So, you know, you look at locations like Tasmania, for example, in different areas in Tasmania, which has been a huge, huge um, investor hotspot recently in places in southeast Queensland where the growth in these areas has not been driven by owner-occupiers. It's been mm. driven by investors. Mm. So, you know, if... if the locals there earn, like I said, $60,000 a year. The growth is going to reflect that income and, you know, they're not going to be able to spend X amount of dollars on property because they're going to be capped at their serviceability. Now, if Sydney people or Melbourne people who earn stronger income than capital cities come and invest here, in the short term, you get really strong growth because all of a sudden these people are coming and making it super competitive. But that growth is not sustainable because as soon as the investors pull out of the marketplace, which will happen as our interest rate environment changes and the sentiment in the marketplace changes, all of a sudden the locals who live there can't afford to buy the property mm. and all of a sudden the growth will then stabilise back to the levels in which the locals can afford. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we go back to where you, you guys are sitting right now in, in the Hills area, mm. I would say 80 plus percent of the buyer pool buying the houses in the suburbs that you live in or, and, and work in are owner-occupiers, yeah. which means the growth is sustainable growth mm. and it will continue to grow as more and more owner-occupiers want to move into the area, they're aspirational people, they own businesses, they own, you know, they're, all they, they're executives at companies and, and they can continue to earn more and more money, which means they can continue to spend more and more money on, on property. Um, and they're probably the, the biggest fundamentals. And then, you know, also understanding when you're buying into a location, what do the owner-occupier demographic want in that location in a property? You know, we were talking off-air about, you know, apartments in a location that's dominated by houses and, you know, the house market in that suburb has been extremely strong over the last three years, but the apartment market in that suburb has been flat or stagnant. And that's because when you buy an apartment in a suburb that's dominated by houses, you only appeal to a very small buyer demographic. And when you only appeal to a very small buyer demographic, that's mm. going to be reflected in the growth that you get. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, that's why it's very important to choose a type of asset in a particular suburb to get that right. Mm. So I think sometimes clients, they just look at the price of the property mm. and not really look at owner-occupiers or investors who, who's investing yeah, the there. percentage, yeah. And then that, they don't get the growth at the end of the day. Mm. So, you know, right. doing your homework is, is very important. Is very critical. And obviously not going to a suburb where all investors are investing mm. because technically if they pull out, the growth is gone as well. And I was talking to someone exactly. about other day as well, um, interstate. They said all all our property price increases by uh, Sydney buyers. Yeah. So we we can't wait to to see these buyers uh, leave. So to, to stabilize, once, yeah. yeah. So mm. once the Sydney buyers leave, the the growth there will be you know practically nil. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. And, and um, we've seen it all across Australia. And, and and as we move into a marketplace that isn't going to be as as competitive as it has been. Mm. We'll start to see the marketplaces that have been propped up by outer, you know, out of town investors, mm-hmm. in comparison to to marketplaces which are dominated by owner occupiers, and we'll, we'll continue to see strong growth in those owner occupier dominated marketplaces because sure, interest rates are are increasing. That that's no um, 
you know, that's no secret and the environment is changing, buyer sentiment is changing. But regardless of market conditions, there is always people in the world doing extremely well. And there's some people who are not going to do so well. Exactly. And, and we saw that at the start of COVID, right? Like there was some businesses that really, really struggled. And on the flip side, there were some businesses that were doing extremely well. Yes. And when some people aren't doing so well, other people are. So there'll always be a you know, transaction of real estate happening, happening. And if you're in established areas, to buy into those areas, you've got to buy off someone who, who you know, is only going to sell at a premium and um, that, that's obviously how growth occurs. Mm. Now, one of the questions we get asked all the time is um, how do you time the market? When do you know it is a good time to, to move in? And obviously, we've got an opinion about that. It's not the timing of the market. It's time in the market, how long you buy and you hold and to be able to make a, a, a profit at the end. What are your, what's your take on that? Well, you're 100% correct. And this is, again, going back to that 1% mentality is if you look at these people who are at the top 1% of, of the wealth in the world, mm. they're not buying and selling properties. They're not trying to time the market and get in at the right yeah. time and get out at the right time. Mm. When people are building significant amounts of wealth, they just accumulate and they never sell. Yeah. So, you know, and, and yeah. it's, it's the key, right? You know, yeah. you can buy a property today and if you're, you're young, You've got three, four, five market cycles in you. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden you get to the later years in your life and, and it looks like a bargain. And it's exactly the same as we're in the marketplace right now. You look back at what properties we're selling for even 10 years and you're going, wow, yeah. how cheap is that? Yeah. And, you know, you can earmark this date, you look 10 years into the future, and I guarantee we're going to say property was so cheap in 2022. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, the, 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 the simple math of supply and demand. And as the, 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 Reserve banks of the world continue to put more and more money supply into our economies. Obviously, that inflates the asset prices. It makes it the dollars that we, we currently hold worth less. Um, and, it, and asset values will continue to increase regardless if people think that's correct or not. Yeah, 100% right. And and as we're talking offline, with, with the market changing drastically in the last couple of weeks, I think it's even more important to, to buy in a location that's got, you know, mm-hmm. good growth. Um, mm. Good history of growth and a blue ribbon location, I think, is probably the way to go. Mm. For sure. And we look at times like now and 99% of buyers will sit in their hands and they'll do nothing and then they'll then wait for the herd and the media to say now is a great time to yes, buy right. and then they all jump into the media, uh, they all jump back into the marketplace. And then they go from buying in isolation where they have leverage in the negotiation, where they have the selection of multiple properties on the market at probably one time. Um, and they can take their time and make the right decision, all of a sudden it flips and they go, well, now we're competing with multiple buyers. We'll make an irrational decision. We'll pay a premium for a property because we'll be competing with other buyers. But they feel comfort in that because everyone else is doing it. And uh, the great Warren Buffett, you know, has famously said, be be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And it's a different marketplace that he obviously works in. He works in the equity markets. But Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, over the last month, has made their largest acquisitions in companies it has made in the last five years when the market's softening. So, again, you look at what these people are doing, they're the smartest minds in the world, they've got the most amount of money in the world and um, I'd much rather back them than, you know, back the average punter who, who writes for the Daily Telegraph. Yeah, yeah, buy when everyone's selling, sell when everyone's buying, yeah. Exactly. So I think yeah. this year is going to be a good time to buy. Mm. The buyers are back. Yeah. 
but regardless, you know, like regardless if you bought last year or you don't buy now and you buy in three years' time, like if you're looking at property with short-term metrics, yeah. it's not the right asset for you. Go and buy cryptocurrency or, you know, something else where you can track the marketplace on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. If you buy a property, it's less about the price you pay for the property on any given day and more mm-hmm. about the quality of the asset that you buy because the quality of the asset is the thing that's going to give you long-term growth right. and, you know, the price is going to seem irrelevant in uh in, in three, six, nine, three years. I think the mindset you have to always uh, go in with is you're gonna you want to hold the property for ten years at least. Mm. But in saying that, as we were talking about some asset classes or some types of um, uh, areas when you are investing, and again, it comes back to doing your research. Uh, you know, the apartments. Well, let's go back to that topic again. Yeah, you you know, when you're purchasing a property five years ago, which is worth about the same this year, and you've had a lot of running cost, that also turns out to be when you in hindsight not not the best decision so is there a way that you can sort of pick on, on that or do you make the decision solely on uh numbers alone is yeah well that's way- the thing because there's gonna there, there's a lot of people who actually wouldn't have done well out of the last marketplace as as, as crazy as that may seem mm. if you bought the wrong asset and that's why i said it's less about what you, the price you pay and more about the asset you buy mm. if you bought the wrong asset five years ago it doesn't matter what marketplace you have you know it's still not going to be doing well right. so the most important thing is understanding the marketplace that you're buying into what the owner occupiers in that marketplace want in a property making sure that you buy a property that appeals to those people mm. um and then ideally, you want to try and make sure that asset is as scarce as possible because obviously the more scarce an asset is, the more demand there will be. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at an area that's dominated by houses and the average block size is 450 square metres and they were all built in the 80s, that's the fundamentals. That's what you need to have to appeal to the demographic. But then what do buyers pay a premium for? Is it a north-facing rear? Are they certain streets in the suburb that always perform better? Mm-hmm. You know, is having character style homes where there may only be 10% of the suburb that have that style is that something that buyers pay a premium for all of these little one percents are then the things that make your property outperform the uh the standard market yeah Yeah. absolutely well there you go um any final words there you go going on for a couple of minutes any final words before we finish off any anything to do with the whole interest rate environment the politics anything to add how that impacts the investment uh, with the political stance at the moment with elections coming up I think um, you know from from my humble perspective that regardless if liberal or labor get in or regardless if interest rates go from two to ten percent like that's not going to be the thing that has a significant impact on your overall wealth creation journey. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, a lot of it is a mental game. A lot of it is a, you know, a strategy game. Um, and I, I can guarantee there is going to be money, uh, people who make significant amounts of money, regardless of what happens in, you know, short, short-term headlines. Um, you know, and if you're smart enough, you can be one of those people, or if you want to follow the herd, like 99% of the population, then you, you'll, you know, get 10 years down the track and go, oh, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. Yeah, yeah. You've got to play the, play the game. And play the long game. <laughs> play the long game. That's, That's it. right. It's too easy. Perfect. All right. Beautiful, guys. Thank you very much for joining us once again. And if there are any questions from our audience uh, after you hear the uh, video as well, feel free to send them through. More than happy to answer them. Thank you very much for joining. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe to our channel for weekly episodes. See you guys next time.